0: All right, we've been talking about Luke. Let's stand and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And, you know, I want to remind you, we talk about these books that these guys have written. I always kind of stumble over this a little bit. Uh, Luke was written by Luke. But really, Luke is written by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the author of all this, and the Holy Spirit moves in all of this. And he's the real author of it all. He just men get carried away by the power of the Spirit and under inspiration write what he, wants them, what he wants us to know. So we look at the end of John in particular, and he says, he, he tells us this, that so many things were done by Jesus that he said, I don't even think a library could fill up. You could fill up a library with everything that Jesus did. Here's what God wants us to know. And so we got to look in the Word and say, what does God really want me to know? So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of uh, Genesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Father, we thank you for your word, for revealing your word to us. And tonight, we, want to be ser- we are serious students of your Word. We want our church to be serious students of your Word, that we would see it as our, our standard for faith and our standard for conduct, and that we would, Father, desire to grow and know you. We pray for our whole church tonight, that you would awaken us to our need to know your Word and to have the foundation of your Word laid in our hearts. Father, speak to us tonight from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at the beginning of each year, we like to celebrate the people who've read all the way through the Bible in a year. If you have done that, or by the end of this year, you will have done that, uh, please let, um, let Pastor Don know uh, so we can kind of celebrate what you've done. Now, here's the real deal. The the real deal for me is that you get some plan where you're reading the Bible all the time. Get get something going, and where you're systematically reading the Bible and getting a good solid grip of the Bible. So don't think, boy, the only way I'm successful at this is I've gotta read through the whole Bible in a year. Uh, What you need to really be doing is reading the Bible. You know, for, for, uh, for me, I encourage everybody to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. And when you read a chapter of Proverbs, I, I encourage you to read it in the morning. And when you read it in the morning, uh, let, after you've read it, stop and think, now, what did I just read? What verse stood out to me? And then throughout that day, kind of think about, go back to that verse and kind of think about that verse that stood out to you. Let it sink into your heart. Let it guide you. As you read it over and over again, you'll you'll find certain themes will begin to pop out that God's trying to say to you. I always encourage people to read, you know, five chapters of Psalms every night before you go to bed. And again, when you put it down, when you're laying in bed about to go to sleep, think about the promise or the revelation that came to you in those five chapters. Now, if you do both of that, if you say, okay, on the... You know, the 20th of the month, I'll read chapter 20 of Proverbs, and I'll read chapters 96 to 100 in the Psalms. You'll get through the Psalms, and you'll get through Proverbs every month. There's a lot in there for you, a lot in there for you. And it'll help you in, in your walk, and as you dwell on it, as you meditate, and as you as you. Go to sleep thinking about that instead of thinking about all the bad stuff that's going on. If you'll think about the promises of God, you'll sleep better. And you'll wake up with, with new faith. Uh, then just you know, get some other systematic plan to start reading through the Bible. And begin to read through the Bible and... Uh, know it. Now, I, I love a lot of the Bible studies that they have uh, in, the, in the Bible app. Those are good as long as they're getting you to read the Bible. Uh, I don't want to read one verse and then read, you know, 10 pages of what somebody else wrote. Uh, if it gives me some insight into those verses, if they give me a little bit, that's great. But what you really want is you want to be reading the Bible. And what I, for me personally, I like reading a a physical Bible that has footnotes and things in it that I can write notes in the Bible and, and, uh, uh, you know, be able to write notes to my family. I, I, I think I've told you before. I have a Bible for all of my kids. I've read through it for all read with them in mind. Read through a Bible for every one of them and now I take them and I rotate them through my Bible study time about a week at a time and continue to write notes to them in it and someday they'll get those. I'm not sure when yet but one of these days I'll give that to them and uh, inside of that will be things that God has spoken to me about them or things I want to encourage them in. I encourage you to do that. I, I encourage you to be reading the Bible. It's It's a a great thing, and and believe in notes. I've had some uh, tremendous opportunities over the years when someone has passed away, and they have a loved one that's far from God, and you open up their Bible, people, they'll bring me their Bible, I'll ask for their Bible, and uh, what you don't want to get is a Bible that has apparently never been opened before, but you get a Bible that's been opened and read a lot, and there's notes in there, and it'll... They'll write notes. Many people will write notes to their kids. I, I pray you'll get this. I pray you'll understand this. I, I've been thinking about you, and this is what you mean to me. And, this is, and it's so encouraging uh, for them to be able to take that Bible now and have this. This, this is what inspired me to read a Bible for all my kids. For, for them to be able to have that with knowing that you've been praying for them and you had them in mind when you read it. And so I just encourage you to think about that and do it. Now, uh, I would tell you, I'd ask you, how many of you have ever been on a vacation? Anybody ever been on a vacation? Some of you have never been on a vacation? We'll pray for you afterwards. Then you come home and a family member or somebody was, well, how was your vacation? How was your vacation? Do you you sit down with them and go, well, you know, on the 3rd of uh, February, we took off, we got in the car, uh, we left at six in the morning, and about, you know, about six hours later, we were hungry for lunch, so we stopped down in Kentucky at a McDonald's, and I had a, you know, a Big Mac and an order of fries, and my husband or my wife had a fish sandwich, and the kids all had kids' meals. Then we got in the car, and we drove on down to Kentucky, and we went on down to Florida. We stopped at this hotel. Is that how you tell about your vacation? No, when you, when you tell about your vacation, guess what? There's a lot of things you leave out, right? They're just not important. And, and you may tell about big events that happen, and you say, oh, we went, you know, we went to Disney, or we went fishing, or we went and did this, and you tell about something, and you don't necessarily tell about them in chronological order. You tell about them about what, what you're thinking about. Oh, that happened. And if somebody, if somebody just listened to you, if you wrote all that, they'd think, well, they went down there and they, this was the first thing, second thing, third thing. No, that's not how, how it went at all. You're just telling the story. This is somewhat the way Luke is writing this to us. He, he really has four major components in the book of Luke. He tells the birth story up until pre-ministry story of Jesus then he tells the ministry story in Galilee, then he'll tell another ministry story, and eventually he tells about the last days of Jesus, and that's kind of in order, but then he skips around inside of those things a little bit, especially uh, in, in, in the middle two of the ministry about what happened. So what we have here is this story about uh, so you just need to remember Luke didn't write this in chronicle chronological order, and remember that his goals are to build certainty of our faith. So his stories have a purpose, even while they're revealing great truths from us. So the story that we have here is partially the story of the calling of Peter, not only the calling of Peter, primarily the calling of Peter, but James and John get called in ministry at the very, uh, at the very same time. Now, uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, it says, when Simon Peter saw what happened, we just read the story of the, the nets are breaking. They're so full of fish that he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I, I, I am a sinful man. And he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is not a story. When I was a kid and I would read this, I'd think, wow. You know, this guy comes out of nowhere these guys are fishing, and you know, Jesus does a miracle in front of them, and they leave their nets and everything and go follow him. That, it's not a story of Jesus just showing up one day and them seeing one miracle and following him. No, they, they've been told about Jesus. Andrew uh, had taken Peter and James and John to Jesus. James and John had had some connection with John the Baptist uh, before this event happened. What what you gotta think of is these were men with jobs. They had to take care of families. So they would come and go as Jesus' ministry was growing, as his impact was growing. Up until this time, they would kind of come and go as they had the time to come and go, as they were working and they had free time or he was close by and you can read about some of those other stories in matthew mark and john that lead us up to this day where jesus is now at this place and it's in the morning uh it's it's early enough in the morning the guys have just gotten in from fishing and they're still cleaning their nets and you're gonna have to dry them, get them ready so they're ready for for fishing the next day and they're cleaning the nets they're by uh, Lake Genesaret, which is what we would know in other parts of the scripture as the Sea of Galilee, and that's, that's where they're at. They're near Capernaum. It's a beautiful place. It's a, just a, it's a beautiful place where you sit down in this, this lake that's about seven miles wide, about 13, 14 miles long, and uh, it, it's kind of a, a gorgeous place to be at and to see what's going on but the, he was at this time really surrounded by a lot of villages of uh, people who were fishermen. That's how they made their money. And so they were, they, he was in business, Peter was in business with James and, and John and, and Andrew. But at this, by this morning, early in the morning, the crowds had already gathered uh, to hear the teaching of Jesus. He's already got people following him. And the fishermen, these guys who've been around Jesus a little bit, they've heard things, they've seen things. They've been amazed by him already. they've, They've fished all night, and they've come in. It's been a fruitless, fruitless night. But it's not just Jesus coming up to this stranger. Jesus knew who Simon was. Simon knew who Jesus was. And Simon is now tired from a long night and and hard work and still had work to do. And in the middle of all of this, Jesus interrupts his day and steps into his boat. There's this crowd around. They're now pushing down. And Jesus says, push out a bit and let me speak to the crowd. And Peter does it. We don't know what his attitude's like, but he, he does it. And Jesus sits there and he teaches the crowd. And Peter's listening, waiting. One of the great lessons in this is this is that obedience to Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense, is a key to the miraculous and the revelation of God in our lives there are times when Jesus interrupts our life and asks us to do something when we're tired and we're wore out and would probably rather do something else. He says, step into this ministry, go do this thing, follow me and obey me, and we go, well, really, I have this plan and I've got this work to do, And uh, we make excuses and don't do it. And we miss sometimes the great revelation of God. It was key at this moment that Peter knew Jesus enough that when he said, you know, basically, I know you're working, I know you're trying to get the nets clean, but right now I want you to push out in this boat and I'm going to sit here and teach the crowd that Peter said, okay. I would tell you, there's times when that kind of obedience is a test. It's a test of our submission to who God is, and our action in that moment reveals our heart. Do we obey or don't we? Peter sat there and listened And suddenly when it's over, instead of Jesus saying, okay, take me back to shore, Jesus looks at him and says something astonishing to Peter. He looks at him and he says, okay, put out into the deep and let down the nets. Now, he's been cleaning the nets. They've been getting the nets ready to to set aside and to wait for the next day. And now if he lets those nets down, he's going to have to clean them again. It's it's the least likely time in the day for him to catch fish in the nets. The way you catch the fish in the nets is you do that at night. But Jesus is looking at him and saying, "Uh, put out into the deep, let down the nets, your work's not over for the day. Can you imagine what's going through Peter's mind at that time? He says, Jesus, we, we've worked all night, we've been doing this all night, we're tired, we're wore out, we haven't caught anything. He's probably thinking in the back of his mind, what does this carpenter know about fishing? Uh, okay, he's a great teacher, but how, what does that have to do with fishing? But I've seen some strange things happen. I've seen some different things happen. And finally, Peter looks at him and catches himself, and he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. He thought it was a waste of time. We've got to be careful when Jesus speaks to us. When he says, go talk to them. Go invite them to the Christmas program. Go, you know, send them a card or send them a note or go share your faith with them. They would sit there and go, oh, Jesus, look, I've invited them before. This is a waste of time. I've done this before. It didn't work. I, I've witnessed to them and they didn't listen. No, I'm tired. I'm wore out. You really want me to stop by there on the way home and talk to them? Are you kidding me? Jesus, I've been, I'm tired I, I, listen, this, this isn't going to work. You just don't understand. No, the call to our life is to obey. So he drops his word in our heart at a, in the middle of a workplace or the middle of a social place or in the middle of a restaurant. Go witness to that. Go invite that person. Go do, and we go, oh, I'd be so uncomfortable doing that. I'd be so. But the spirit of will we obey or won't we? Will we obey or won't we? Remember, if Jesus tells us to do something, he will bless our labor. And so this call that Peter kind of got instinctively was, this guy's different. And when he tells me to do something, I'll do it. So Peter pulls out into the deep. I I wonder what's going through his head he's certainly not thinking that he's going to get the mother load of fish. He lets down the net, and suddenly they are full. They are so full that he shouts out to the guys on the shore who were most likely thinking at that moment, I'm glad he didn't get into our boat we would be out there doing this fruitless labor of dropping our nets into the the sea, into the lake with no good. And all of a sudden, Peter's going, get out here, come help me quick. And they start to see it dawns on them at some moment in time, this awareness that he's out in the deep and he's got a catch that he can't handle. And they jump in their boat, and they rush out there, and he doesn't have a few fish. He doesn't have a good load, but he has so many fish that the nets are bursting. They're about to break. It's about to tear the nets, and they rush out, and they begin to help him. And before they know it, Both boats are so full of fish that they're beyond capacity. They're in danger of sinking the boats. Wow, what a moment. And several revelations and lessons inside of that. The first one that Luke is really trying to get through once again is this. This was a demonstration of Jesus' power over all creation. He could even tell the fish, it's time to get caught. And they were going to obey. This is a demonstration that he, is, that he was God Almighty. This is a story about the power that Jesus had and that God has over all the earth. It's a story, this is a story about the revelation of Jesus and his ability to provide. He's about to ask these guys to lay down their nets and follow him, to give up their work, to give up their income, to give up their resources, to give up what they've always thought they were going to do, to lay it all down and come follow him. This is a revelation that their families could be taken care of that they had nothing to worry about if they were in Jesus' order. This is a story, three, this story shows the right of God to reorder our life. To come into our life and say, I know you have plans, but I have different ones. And his plan wasn't gonna be, I'm gonna make you rich. No, his plan was, you're gonna come follow me. What was about to happen with Peter is that Peter, Jesus was looking at Peter and in the back of Jesus' mind, he's thinking, you are not gonna die an obscure fisherman from the Sea of Galilee. That had happened for centuries before It would happen in centuries afterwards. Life would come, life would go. Men would give their life as fishermen, taking care of their family, taking care of life, doing business as fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. But he's looking at at Peter and he's saying, that's not what you're going to do. He was not going to get a life of ease. He was going to die a martyr for the sake of the gospel. He was going to be a messenger. He was going to be a testimony of who Jesus Jesus was. His name would be honored and is honored. It would be honored for centuries to come and is still honored today because one day on a boat, Jesus looked at him and said, I'm reordering the call of your life. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He would become a witness to the greatest event in the human story of God coming to earth and conquering death, hell, and the grave. He would be a first-hand, front row right there in the moment witness of the power of God. Listen, when God calls you to something, It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy, but it is going to be eternal. It doesn't mean it's all going to be simple for you when you get called called by God. It means that he's going to lead you someplace and do something that's going to bear fruit that will last forever. His hand's going to come upon you. He will guide you and direct you, and your life will be used up for him, and that will go into eternity with you in whatever calling we may have. That may be a calling. God may put your ha- his hand on you and say, I want you to teach three-year-olds for the next 25 years. And you may sit there in obscurity to the world, but pouring truth into three-year-olds who won't remember it, you know, won't remember who taught them these things, but the Holy Spirit will remind them of it in due time. And you'll have been the instrument of God that he's used to plant that seed. He may call you to places of obscurity. He may call you to places where you have to learn to be obedient to Him with everybody's eyes on you. He may call you into a lot of places where you're challenged, where it's easy, where it's hard, where it's difficult, where it seems like you poured your life into something and it doesn't seem to be working as well as you want it to. He has the right to reorder our life and use us any way He wants to. But when we do it, the eternal fruit will come along with it and we'll get to see great things. Simon Peter, in that moment when the nets are suddenly full, in the morning, when they're not supposed to be full, he, and he saw it wasn't just a little bit of fish, it wasn't even a good load of fish, it was an overwhelming load of fish. He knows in that moment this didn't happen by chance. This was on purpose. This guy right here can do things that no man can do. While everyone is working, Peter's looking He's seen this load of fish. He's seen what's taking place. He's looking at what's just happened. He's astonished at what he's seen and he realizes he's done this on purpose. And he falls at his feet and he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Up until this moment, Peter has been curious about Jesus. He's gone out and listened to him at times. He's enjoyed his teaching. He's been wowed at times by the miracles and the things that he has seen. He hasn't quite figured all that out yet. He's been learning from Jesus. He may have even considered himself a follower of Jesus. But at this point in time, Simon Peter has basically been okay with Jesus. Oh, this is a good guy. I'm okay with him. Enough for the fact to let him get in his boat and wait patiently while he's teaching. Enough to put down the nets when it was ridiculous to put down the nets. It's a place where all of us have to come to at some point in time. This place where we realize Jesus is different. His teaching is different. I need to learn from this. I need to grow in this. I, 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 want him, I want to kind of get this. And when he tells me to do something, even if he tells me to forgive people I don't want to forgive or to give to something I, I don't know about, it, or invest my life in ministry where I'm not really... If he says it, okay, okay. We all need to get to that point. Simon Peter was okay with Jesus. But Jesus wanted more out of Simon Peter than for him to simply be okay with him. Jesus doesn't want our casual commitment. Jesus wants full-blown lordship in our lives. He wants us to bow everything to him, whether we like it or don't like it, understand it or don't understand it, no matter what the culture says No matter what my fleshly desires are, my life is called to be be a follower of Christ. Peter knows that this is not an action of man's power, but God's. And we see the natural reaction. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. I don't even deserve to be around you. You know, you can measure our revelation of God pretty clearly by our reaction to him. How we respond to him. Some people get really casual. They, they get really casual with Jesus. They get really casual with God. We, we hear that he loves us and he does. And we kind of think of him, you know, as our buddy or our big brother or our daddy or Whatever. But I've just come to this conclusion that to an extent, our approach to him reveals how much we've really seen him. Up until this point in time, Peter's okay with Jesus. He lets him in the boat. Now he's got a glimpse of him. He wants him out of the boat. He's afraid of what he's seen. He's trembling. At what he's seen. He is freaked out by what he has seen. Do you understand? That's a common reaction to God. That's a common reaction. We see it out of Job. Here's Job living a righteous life, to the point that God says there's nobody more righteous than Job, and the devil says, Let me put my hand on him and prove that he doesn't really love you. And he goes through great turmoil. At the end of it all, at the end of the story, uh, Jesus, uh, God says to him in, 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 uh, in Job 42, you said, listen now and I will speak, I will question you, and you shall answer me. And Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He was a righteous man according to God. He, he had things going, but now he has seen God. In the middle of all this stuff, he's seen God, and he says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is a common reaction. The closer we get to God, the more humble we we become not the more puffed up we become, not the more full of ourselves that we become, the more humble we come before him. The more we recognize all of his good gifts to us, the more we recognize our total dependency upon him. Total, complete, whole dependency upon him. I breathe because he says I can. I live and think because he says I can. Everything about me is a gift from him. He empowers it. He holds it all together. I am nothing on my own. He is everything. When we begin to see, when you begin in prayer to see him, doesn't puff us up. You become humble before Him. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse five, listen. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see him, The more we get to know him, the more we think of him, and the more we realize what we are and how we need his mercy, how we need his grace. Paul writes about this in in Romans chapter 14. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Hey, don't worry about it. You're going to, they're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. This is a great thing to understand. Nobody's going to stand before God and argue with him. When you see God in his glory, anybody who's rejected him on earth, there's coming a day when all rejection will turn to a bowed knees and that's God. doesn't mean they're going to be saved but they're going to see the glory of God. So then each of himself, each of us must give an account of himself to God. What is this right attitude that we should have before God? This this, this, this isn't something you put on. This isn't something, oh, well, you know, I'm supposed to be humble. No, this this is a God, let me see. If you seek me, you shall find me if you seek me with all of your heart. This is a a bowing of our heart to God and a revelation that he is righteous and I need his righteousness on me. I need to be covered with the righteousness of Christ because if I'm not covered with the righteousness of Christ and I come before him on my own righteousness, there is no way I measure up No way. It's only because I'm covered by the righteousness of Christ that I can stand before him. If we make excuses for our loves, well, I think they're they're good enough. I think they're good enough. I had a guy tell me once, I'm better than all the people in your church. I said, well, you know what? You may be. That, That could be. You may be better than all of them. But you know what? They're not depending on how good they are. They're depending on how good Jesus is. You're dependent on how good you are, and buddy, I'm telling you, you're lost without Jesus. Jesus is the one we rest in, not in, oh, I, you know, I, I did this, I did that. No. We rest in Jesus. He's the hope of our life. We trust in him. What is the right attitude towards God as we approach him in worship and in prayer? Hebrews speaks to it in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful that God has done a work in us that the enemy can't take away from us, that the enemy can't rob from us. This is a kingdom that can't be shaken. We've received it in Jesus' name. Amen? That's good news for us, folks that the enemy can't take it away from us, the world can't take it away from us. It's not gonna crumble and it's not gonna fall. The kingdom that has come upon our lives is the kingdom of the living God that nothing can shake. And then it goes on and says, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Can I I help you a little bit? Sunday morning, you come to church. Good day, bad day, good week, bad week. God is an awesome God. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken about us. May have been a tough week, but God's promises are true. We may have lost somebody we love, but God's promises are true. And I have an obligation in that moment to come before God with reverence. Not to come in here and say, I've had a bad week, Dan. Fire me up. Hope the choir says to sing something good today. I'm going to sit here and listen. You know, I'm not really much of a singer, so I'm not going to sing. I'm not, much, I'm not really into the worship thing. So all the rest of you can get in. No, we come before God with reverence and awe. That's how we are supposed to approach Him. We come into this meeting. We come in on Sunday morning with this one thought in mind: we're going with one of our with a thought in mind of God. I am here together with other believers and worship You in spirit and truth. And I am here together with other believers to hear Your Word for Your Word to guide and direct my life. That's why I'm coming in here. And I'm going to worship you, good day, bad day, whatever's going on. I am going to worship you with reverence and awe because you are the one that gives me a rock-solid life. And so we have this obligation to sit out in the parking lot and say, Honey, you know what? We've been fighting all the way here. We need to repent and go in and worship God now. We need to stop. We need to ask God to forgive us and go in there. And ask God to move on us. And we need to lift our hands to Him. We need to sing to Him. We need to thank Him for His goodness. Now, I'm telling you, you don't do that. You don't see that. You may start to learn that from a night like tonight. But what you really need is that revelation of God where you realize He does the impossible. And one of the impossible things he has done is he has saved my soul for all eternity. He's given me a kingdom that can't be shaken. So I'm walking in there today with all the stuff the enemy's trying to do to me. Encourage, discourage, great week, bad week. And with reverence and awe, I will worship him. I will lift my voice to him. I will offer him acceptable worship. So I challenge you, you know, this Sunday, worship's going on, ask yourself, do I think this is acceptable? Do I think this is acceptable? Is, is this what I'm supposed to do? I'm sitting here, I, I'm saying, I'm not going to cooperate, I'm not going to be a part of things, I'm just going to watch. Listen, I, I go to churches when I go to other places, and the band will be great, and, The music will be music like we use and there'll be stuff that you really, and I look around at the congregation and it's like they're watching a show. It's like they're just observers. We're not supposed to be observers. We're supposed to be participants. Amen? They are worship leaders, not worship performers. Are are you hearing me? Uh, we, We worship in spirit and truth. We have these prayer nights. I'm not telling you you have to come every night. I'm not saying, hey, you need to come every night. But because we reverence God and believe he is the answer and he can move in our lives, we should come some nights. You should come sometimes. Because we're in a war, friends. We're in a battle. But we have a kingdom that can't be shaken If we do what God tells us to do, if we obey him, say, well, you know, I'm I'm tired and it's been a long day of work and I don't want to let the nets down anymore. Peter would have missed a world of change. I'm not telling you you've got to come every night. I'm saying, come sometimes. Come and pray. Come in faith believing. I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to pray seek God for his move in my life I'm going to pray for God to destroy the strongholds of the enemy in my life in my family, in my country in our church, I'm going to seek God and I'm going to believe him to do things that only he can do, I'm letting the nets down, I'm going to let him fill them up Amen We've got to decide what we're going to be uh, this, is why we're take, this is why we encourage you. Take time in that prayer time to honor the name of God, to, to thank Him for what He has done, to thank Him for His righteousness. I find myself spending a lot of time saying, God, I'm so thankful for Your mercy. I need it so bad. Thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him for His patience. Thank Him for His sustaining power. Thank Him for His steadfast love. Thank Him for the good things and let that just unfold in Your mind. God, I thank You that you know, my, my brother who is just as mean as a snake, God, your love is steadfast for him. You still love him. And I'm grateful that there's hope, even when he denies everything about you right now. God, you're amazing, God. As you recognize him as almighty, all-knowing, always present, as you think about his holiness, as you think about his provision, as you thank him for those things and you recognize him in those things, as you thank him for his great works in your life and Jesus for the sacrifice on the cross, as we think about uh, and, and consider his greatness in worship, as you dwell on the miracles and the promises of God's word, in those moments we get this greater revelation of God. That's why he has a start there. We get this greater revelation with God. And when we get a greater revelation of God, our relationship with God changes from occasional and casual to being overwhelmed, aware of his presence, and humbled before him. In those moments, pride flees and awe of him is stirred. In that moment of awe, we hear the words so many have heard before us that are amazing, powerful words when we're suddenly awed by Him and overwhelmed by Him and we're falling on our knees before Him. He whispers into our spirit, Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. For Peter, it is a fear not. You were a fisherman, but now you're going to be a fisher of men. See, he doesn't stop with fear not. He goes on to say, you were this, but now you're going to be this. Abram, you're going to become Abraham. Jacob, you're going to become Israel. David, you're a shepherd, but I'm going to make you a king. Peter, you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you an apostle. The change comes when we see him and we humble ourselves before him. When we see him and he calls us, he changes, he calls us to change. We must turn from what has driven our life and follow him. Have you seen him for who he is? Do you want to see him for who he is? For Peter, this would be a step-by-step revelation. It had begun on those days when he builds this casual relationship. He's aware of him. It becomes transformational when he sees him do this miracle in his boat. And then moment by moment through the next three years until the very day of Pentecost, Peter's being changed by the awesome power of Jesus. If we want to be changed, he will take us on a trip. Amen? I'm going to ask you to come down around the altar tonight I just want to encourage you to take a few moments and lift your voices to the Lord and worship him and just say, God, I I really want to know you more. Amen. Let's worship him. Just, I hope this gets in all of our hearts. The greatest prize on this earth the greatest prize in heaven is the presence of god in our life that's the greatest prize better than you know finding the perfect spouse or better than you know getting a lot of money or better than being famous the greatest prize is jesus and here's the great news friend the great news is this he doesn't say Listen, there's some of you who I've wired up with the kind of personality and the kind of spiritual and emotional makeup that you will be able to find me in, but others won't. He doesn't say that at all. He says, look, if you really want to know my presence, if you really want to know me, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. The only thing that's required is that we get this little bit of acknowledgement of who he is. This is what happened to Peter. You got this little bit of, yeah, okay, Jesus is cool. And then Jesus said, okay, I'm gonna show you more. If you'll begin to seek him, just sit and say, you know what? The hope of all eternity rests in him. And you begin to seek him, it will be transformational in your life. It won't be transformational towards puffing you up. It'll be transformational for you to have new strength. He will let you walk, but you'll always be aware it's in him that I walk. I live and I move and I have my being is in him. Amen. Father, I thank you for this church, Lord. And I pray that on Sunday mornings when we gather together, that, Lord, there would be a growing core of maturity in us. That, Father, no one would be able to look at us during praise and worship and say, oh, they had a good week this week, oh, they had a bad week this week. But that we would come in here and worship you with reverence and awe no matter how our week went. For, Father, we know it's in your presence. So we'll get strength for whatever we're going to face. Let there be a growing core. That, for Father, we believe that as we do that, others will be touched by your spirit as well. Father, in our life every day, let us walk under the anointing of your spirit and as the men and women in this room take time in their prayer time. Father, just to say, Lord, I'm here to seek you, to think about what you've done for me. Father, I know you're going to open their minds. You're going to color in, Father, the lines and they're going to see more and more of you and have more and more strength in you. Let us grow in these things, we pray. And, Father, take us from what we are to what you want us to be every day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord. We'll see you Sunday, if not before. I'm back here next Wednesday.